it's really good to be with you again as we um, as we worship Jesus. I've had many conversations over the years, pastoral conversations over the years with Christians, and then just normal conversations with friends of mine who are Christians. And as a result of these many conversations, right? I mean, my job, a big part of my job is to have spiritual conversations with Christians. But then again, as being a Christian, I have spiritual conversations with friends and family and people. And as a result of all those conversations, I've I've come to realize that most Christians— Many Christians, at least, and and I would dare to say most Christians are severely lacking confidence in their relationship with Jesus. Most Christians, at least that I've talked to, are severely lacking confidence in their relationship with Jesus. And after being steeped in religious culture, the religious culture of do's and don'ts, we tend to try and perform for God or conform to a church culture. And after we try and do that for long enough, we realize that performing for God is impossible. We can't live up to the lofty law of the Bible. And conforming to church culture, that's just not fun. Who wants to do it? Who wants to, who wants to try and figure out what other people expect of them and to conform themselves to that? And so as a result of this religious culture and being steeped in it and and being stuck with these lists of do's and don'ts, it's my belief that far too many Christians lack confidence in their relationship with Jesus. And that's not how it's supposed to be. There's a different way for you and I to live our life with Jesus. And our passage for this morning from the book of Philippians has it for us. Do we have the, uh, the sermon PowerPoint? Um, Our passage this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. So I'm going to read that passage, and as we read this, we're going to look through. Here's our big idea for this morning, kind of as we synthesize this passage. It's that to gain confidence in our relationship with Jesus, we must give up confidence in what we do for him or don't do. Um, And I added kind of the don't do on there just as an addendum because I had built this entire message off of what we do for him. And then even this morning as I was praying and thinking this through, I thought oftentimes, though, we also put confidence in the things that we don't do. And so we're going to read this passage, and then we're going to talk about how we can grow in confidence with Jesus. If you could stand as I read this passage for us, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church in Philippi the word of God preserved for us. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Lord Jesus, may you cause this word to come alive to us today to instruct us and to grow our confidence in you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, again, the big idea as we look at this text this morning is that to gain confidence in our relationship with Jesus, we must give up confidence in what we do for him or don't do for him. Now, don't hear me saying that we shouldn't do things for Jesus or that we shouldn't abstain from certain things for Jesus. The Christian life surely involves some do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It involves a lot of that. But what this passage is telling us is to not put our confidence in what we do or what we don't do. And in my experience with many Christians, we're, we're, we're weak in our Christian life. We feel like we're withering on the vine. And, and we have all these, these, this lack of assurance in our relationship with Jesus, this lack of confidence in our relationship with Jesus, because we spend our time looking at these do's and don'ts and trying to measure ourselves up trying to figure out, is God pleased with me? Is God okay with me? Do I fit into this religious culture? Am I doing what's expected of me? Am I doing my devotions right? Am I praying right? Am I doing them enough? Am I, am I singing with enough veracity? Well, right now you can't. You have your mask on. But internally, does my, does my soul come alive for Jesus? Am I loving my neighbor well enough? Am I caring for the poor well enough? Am I giving my money? Am I giving my time Am I, am I staying away from temptation? Am I saying no to these things? Am I overcoming my sin? This is much of what we think about as Christians. And, and oftentimes the answer is, no, I'm not doing enough. And no, I haven't stopped doing the things that I know I shouldn't do. And as a result, our confidence in, in our relationship with Jesus suffers. And this passage here is Paul coming to us coming, he's writing to the church in Philippi who are very similar to you and I, and he's saying, don't, don't get wrapped up in trying to find your confidence in your flesh. The way to live the Christian life is to not think about what you're doing and what you're not doing and, and grade yourself. There's no report card for the Christian life. There's a better way to do this. There's a, there's a better way to live your life free, full of confidence, the title of this sermon is The Confident Christian. And even hearing that, a lot of times people think, well, Christians shouldn't be confident. They should be humble. Yes, absolutely. When I say confidence, and this passage isn't calling us to, to, to brag in and of ourselves, but it is to find confidence in our relationship with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The context for this passage is Paul, again, he's in jail in Rome, writing this letter to the church in Philippi. He helped to start this church. Paul lived in Philippi for a season of time. He planted a church, a diverse church made up of diverse people. We've talked about the diversity in this church over the last couple weeks. Go back to Acts chapter 16, if you'd like, and see the diversity of this church. And this, this diverse church is being united around the person and the work of Jesus. 
people are converting from their poor former religions they are they are giving up their former allegiances to the roman emperor or to whatever it may be to to demons there's this demon possessed girl who gives that up there's this roman jailer who gives up his allegiance to the to the roman empire there's lydia this rich seller of purple who gives up her she doesn't give up her wealth but she uses her wealth for the good of others this diverse group of people coming together because jesus is changing their lives and as this church starts as they begin to grow numerically, but also spiritually, they're in danger of getting caught in religious rubbish. They're in danger of being caught in this religious do and don't list. Many of you have experienced it. Whether you grew up in the church or whether you're newer to the church, you're starting to realize, maybe you grew up just knowing this, like there's certain things that you can say and can't say at church. There's certain things that you're expected to do and to not do. And if you're newer to the faith or checking it out, it won't take very long for you to figure out that there's a certain way that people will expect you to act. There's these lists, whether it's a real list. I mean, these things exist where here's a list of things that you should do or shouldn't do. Or whether it's just an unspoken kind of unwritten rules of religiosity that you, that you will get trapped in. And this new church, with their budding faith, their growing faith, is, is in danger of getting trapped in a religious list of do's and don'ts. And Paul is warning them against this. The people who, are, who he's warning them against are called the Judaizers. They're, they're Jews who, who try to implement the Jewish law on new converts. So we have Jews and Gentiles. In the Old Testament worldview, the Jews, the people of God, there's Israel, the people of God, and then there's all others, Gentiles. In Philippi, there were a bunch of Gentiles, Greeks, and and many of them were becoming Christians. And as they became Christians, the Judaizers, those who had grown up in this Jewish religion, this Jewish culture, they were now expecting that the Gentiles would conform to Jewish customs, traditions, and rules. It's like if you've been in the church for any length of time, you may have this preconceived notion in your mind that there's a certain dress code or a certain style of music or a certain way of acting around others that when somebody then becomes a Christian, you think, oh, well, they, they need to change how they dress, what they listen to, who they talk to, how they think about this, how they vote, all these different things. It's kind of this, like, as you become a Christian, you have to change certain things about you, and, and the gospel changes us. Right? I'm not saying that we don't change. There are things that we start to do as Christians and things that we stop doing as Christians. But Paul here is warning the church in Philippi to be careful of these religious leaders who are expecting new converts to conform to religious standards and traditions. Specifically, the religious standard and tradition here is circumcision. So in the Old Testament, God gave this, this command that his people, Israelites, the, the men of Israel would be circumcised. And if you don't know what that means, ask somebody else later. They can explain it to you. In all honesty, if you don't know what that means, talk to me. We'll figure it out. If you're under the age of an adult, talk to your parents. Um, they can help you figure that out. But this was, a, this was a law, this was a command in the Old Testament for God's people, Israel that all the Israelite men would be circumcised, and there's reasons for this. And there, there was a very profound reason for it. In fact, it's so that they would stand out against the pagan nations, so that if the men of God were to go to a temple prostitute, they would know, you don't belong here. 
You worship Yahweh. You're, you're, you're of the circumcision party. You're of Israel. You don't belong here. You have a holy God who's called you out to a holy life, and so what are you doing here? Okay, so that's why circumcision exists. This sermon is not built around circumcision. It's built around finding confidence in God. But this is the context here. So these Judaizers are expecting now that these Gentiles who have now converted to Christianity would become circumcised, that they would adopt Jewish customs, traditions, and laws. And Paul gets extremely worked up about this. This is what we see in verse 2 and 3. We're still just looking at the context here. And so verse, verse 1, he's kind of transitioning. Remember last week he shared the travel log, kind of this intimate detail of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he wants to send these leaders to the church. Verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. And then verse 2 and 3. He says, Look out for the dogs. He, this is like street dogs. These these things in society that, that aren't good for anything, and he's actually referring here to the Judaizers, to the re religious Jewish rulers as dogs. Now, in this culture, Jews often refer to Gentiles as dogs. They're, they're not good for anything. They're like, they're like street dogs. And so Paul, he grew up as a Jew. He grew up as a Jewish leader. He's going to tell us later he's a Pharisee. He, among Jewish leaders, he's top. He is the most impressive Jewish leader that is, and he used to, in fact, refer to Gentiles as dogs. He used to persecute Christians, but now he's found Jesus. That's in Acts chapter 9, if you want to see this incredible story of conversion. He's met Jesus, and so now that he's met Jesus, he's saying, those people, those religious leaders who go around heaping up rules, lists of rules, and expecting converts to, to conform to Jewish customs and cultures— Watch out for them. They're like dogs. He turns the, the, the term back on the Jewish leaders who are calling Gentiles dogs. Look out for the evildoers. He calls them evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And there he's using that idea of circumcision. He's saying they're, they're not requiring circumcision. That what they're doing externally is requiring circumcision so that you could become more Jewish in your faith but he turns it and he's like, no, they're, they're mutilators of the flesh. They're requiring this external adopting of our religion and they're crushing the soul. They're breaking the confidence of the new Christians, at least they're in danger of. And so Paul is warning the Christians, watch out. Watch out for the religious rulers, the religious leaders who will expect you to conform to their religious customs and culture. And then verse 3 says, for we are the real circumcision. He's talking to both Jews and Gentiles alike in the church in Philippi who have found Jesus and placed their faith in Jesus. He's saying they think they're the, the real circumcision, the circumcision party, the Israelites, but we are the real circumcision. And so this is our big idea for this morning, is that to gain confidence in our relationship with Jesus, we must give up what we do for him or don't do for him. Give up confidence in that. Give up our confidence in what we do for Jesus or don't do for Jesus. So that's the context. And now what we're going to do is walk through Paul's list of credentials. I mentioned he was one of these Jewish leaders. He was tops among the Jewish leaders. And so he knows a little something about this religious culture. 
He, he knows exactly what's going on here, and he knows exactly how religion can suck life out of relationship with Jesus. He knows how a list of religious do's and don'ts can strip the confidence of a Jesus follower and leave them wondering if they're even saved. And so what he's going to do here is he's going he's to establish some ground among this church that he planted, but then some, he's going to kind of establish a, a place of authority among the religious leaders of the Jews, and he's going to give us his list of credentials. And in doing it, he's going to call us to renounce putting our confidence in the flesh. In fact, confidence in the flesh is religious rubbish. At verse, in verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That word again, Paul is using very strong language here in this text. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. That's what he's calling the religious leaders. And then he says all of the religious good that he did is counted as rubbish. It's a word that little Jewish boys and girls weren't allowed to use. It means dung, excrement, feces. Some people take it so far in our culture that it equates to a, to a swear word that starts with H, starts with S, followed by H, ends with T. I don't know. I don't know that culture well enough to, to go that route and to say the word. That's why I left out the I for you. You can fill in the blank. But many people will say this. This is that strong of language. Many commentators, they look at other literature from that time, they say this word is only put in when it tried to rouse a crowd and get the attention of a crowd. And Paul is saying, all of the good that I did and all of the, the bad that I didn't do in the name of religion is, is worthless. It's like dung. But before he says it's worthless, he gives us his list. Let's look at his list of religious rubbish. And the first one is circumcision. I already talked about how circumcision, that's what the Judaizers are expecting these new Gentile converts to do, to be circumcised. And Paul's like, if that's the argument, well, then, then I'm good to go. I count this up on my, on my list of credentials. He says, we're going to pick it up here in verse 5. The end of verse 4. Uh, let's start at verse 4. It says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. What he's saying is, I'm better than all of you at religion. I'm better than all of you at religion. And he lists his credentials to prove it. Circumcised on the eighth day. Judaizers are expecting these, these Gentiles to be circumcised, to conform to religious culture and customs and rules. And he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like I was supposed to be. Now, Paul isn't against having a Gentile take on some Jewish customs and cultures to reach Jews. In fact, Timothy, who he refers to in this letter, who he wants to send to Philippi, he had Timothy circumcised as an adult man. You can read about this in Acts 15 and 16. There's this debate in Acts chapter 15 of, about circumcision and if Gentiles need to be circumcised. And, and they determine, no, they don't need to be circumcised. But then in Acts chapter 16, Timothy, he's, he's from this mixed-race family. His mom is a Jew and his dad is a Greek. And because Timothy's going to be doing ministry among Jews, Paul recommends Timothy getting circumcised, and Timothy agrees. And so Paul's not against 
becoming all things to all people so that we might win some. He's not against conforming to certain religious rules and standards with the right heart for the right reason. Timothy himself has been circumcised as an older man. But what is happening here is Paul is against requiring this to take place by the religious leaders. See, as a humble religious servant, Timothy is a humble religious leader. He, he can say, I'm going to be circumcised so that I can minister to those who are weak-minded and can't get their minds out of their tradition. But if those people require circumcision of new converts, that's where the problem lies. And so Paul comes down on it as relig religious rubbish, but he's claiming, he's, he's reminding them, I, I've done that. So this is what you're requiring? Well, check, check mark. I've done that. He goes on. Circumcised on the eighth day, verse 5, of the people of Israel. He's a Jew. He's among the people of God. And I think what he's warning us here is to resist resting on the faith of the family. See, many, many Jews would think, well, well, we're the people of God. We're Israel. We're the chosen people of God. I'm a Jew, therefore I'm good. It's like many people in our culture, I've, I've heard this over and over again from people. Well, yeah, I, I'm a Christian because my parents went to church. I'm a Christian because I was baptized or I was confirmed. And, and there's no fruit, there's no evidence, there's no real confidence in their relationship with Jesus, but, but they're trusting this inherited faith of their family. And so Paul is saying, as far as credentials go, I'm of the people of Israel. I'm one of God's family check it. Add that to my list of credentials. Next one, of the tribe of Benjamin. It says, not only am I from the people of God, but I'm from one of the best tribes among the tribes of Israel. Twelve tribes, the tribe of Benjamin, they have a great rap sheet throughout the Old Testament. This incredible family to be from, this incredible clan to be from. And so Paul is establishing again his authority among these religious rulers, saying, I'm just as good, if not better, than all of these religious rulers. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. It's like the equivalent of us taking pride in our family of origin. Now, I don't really understand this. Now, now pride, I, I don't mean like you're just proud of your ancestry and who you came from. And like, I'm proud to be a Peterson. I love my family. I'm glad that I'm from my family, right? It's not that kind of pride. It's the kind of pride that thinking, I've got good genes. I've inherited good traits. I've inherited a lot. My, my people are better than your people. And so Paul is saying, if we want to play that game, I'm from one of the better tribes among the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. But he's warning against finding confidence in our flesh. He's warning against finding pride in your family of origin, thinking, Because I'm from good people, I have good family, my family loved the Lord, and they passed that on to me, I'm, I'm good to go. He's warning against that. He says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he's warning against ethnic pride. He's saying, I'm, I'm pure blood Jew, I'm an Israelite through and through, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. There's no Gentiles that work their way into my family tree. He's saying, so as credentials go for the religiously minded, I've got it all. But be careful. Be careful not to find your confidence in your ethnicity, in your people group, 
in your history, in your legacy. Be careful not to find your confidence or find your pride in your nationality, in where you live, when you live. Be careful of that. We could slip into finding confidence in our flesh if we think too much about who we've descended through and where we live. How important is that for us right now with all these conversations about race? I'm not going to go into it in detail this morning, but the reality is a lot of racism happens as a result of ethnic pride, racial pride. And, And Paul is warning against that. Don't find confidence in who you are or where you're from. Next thing, he he goes on. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee is a certain sect of religious leaders among Israel. And so what he's saying here is, I'm from one of the dominant religious groups in Israel. I'm a Pharisee. I belong to this sect of Judaism. I'm I'm a leader in the law. The Pharisees understood the law, they interpreted the law, and they passed the law down to others. And so the equivalent of what he's saying there that I think applies to us is be careful of finding pride in your theological camp. I think this is such a good reminder of us. I don't know how often I hear Christians like trying to figure out what groups of theologians they associate with. Like, which blogs do you read? Who do you follow? Which pastors do you listen to? Are you reformed? Good. You should be. Do you believe in free will? Good. You should. We can... We, can, we understand each other. Do you listen to this pastor? Yes, you're my guy. Do you listen to this pastor? Yes, you're my girl. We think the same. We're from the same theological camp. Ever experienced that in the church? Paul here is saying, I'm from the best theological camp. The Pharisees. We know what's up, other than Jesus was always cutting them down. Jesus is telling his followers, don't be like a Pharisee. But Paul is like, among the religious leaders, I'm from the most educated, the most theologically accurate group. So he's establishing, again, his credibility in this conversation. Next, he moves on and he says, as to, okay, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. A zealous persecutor, I already mentioned this, but before he became a Christian, he was this zealous religious Jewish leader who was persecuting Christians. And in this circle, he's saying, I I was sold out. And I think the caution for us here, the caution for us to to be aware of and for us to not fall into the temptation of putting confidence in self or becoming people who are filled up with with religious trash, religious rubbish, is to be careful of being those who are on fire, radical, or sold out. That may sound weird to you. You're like, aren't we supposed to be on fire for our faith? I read a book called Radical. Am I not supposed to be that? Yes. Sure. Don't find your confidence in it. Don't find your confidence in in, in how hard and fast you go after your faith and compare yourself to others who are maybe further behind in their journey or God hasn't lit the fire in them as much. I think far too often in our circles, in, in, in Christianity, we become zealous for our faith and it's easy for religious people, now, now genuine 
a genuine zealousness for the Lord is good. But a religious zealousness for the Lord is dangerous. That's what Paul is saying here. When I was a religious zealot, that's religious rubbish. And I think sometimes in our circles, in our churches, we, we mistake our, our religious zeal for God's will. You, you ever met anyone like that? At first glance, they just seem on fire. They're radical. They're sold out. And you're like, I want to be like them. And then a little more that you look, you're like, I'm not sure what you're saying is actually biblical. I don't see a whole lot of fruit in your life. In fact, I see you bouncing around from one church to one church to one thing to the next thing. I don't see any long-lasting fruit. I mean, over and over again, this has happened at the churches that I've pastored. People come in and they're on fire for the Lord. And people are like, oh, they're, they're sold out. They're radical. They're up at 4 a.m. reading their Bible, praying. They, they're going on missions trips, and then within a month, they're gone to a different church. And people are like, where, where did they go? And then talk to that church, and they're gone within another month, and there's no long-term fruit. And so I think the caution for us as we're thinking about not putting confidence in the flesh, being careful of what is religious rubbish, is to jump on this kind of being radical or sold out and mistaking our will for God's will. Secondly, I think we often, I think this is a caution for us, that oftentimes religious people mask their guilt with zeal. So sometimes those who appear the most on fire, the most sold out, the most radical in their faith, they're actually trying to cover up sin. Rather than bringing sin to the cross and receiving God's free and full forgiveness in Christ, they're carrying around this load of guilt, and they're trying to absolve themselves of their guilt by doing good things, radical things, sold-out things for God. And I see this happen in the church. I, I know countless people who have hit the mission field for a very short period of time, and they've come back and they've told me, I was just trying to make myself feel better about my faith. God didn't actually call me there. I felt guilty, and I, and I felt, I, I read a book, and it said I had to be radical and sold out, and so I sold everything, and I moved somewhere, and I realized God didn't want me there. God wanted me back here. And so the caution for us is to be careful for putting, of putting confidence in our flesh. In, I'm not saying, please don't hear me saying you shouldn't be on fire, radical, or sold out for your faith. Right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying be careful of being religiously on fire, radical, or sold out. Where, you, where you're doing it to try and prove yourself to God or to others. Paul is saying as far as zeal goes, as far as being radical goes, I was the most radical of radicals, but in a religious way, and so it was rubbish. And then lastly, he says, as to, this is the end of verse 6, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Righteous under the law. He's saying, I was perfectly religious. I mean, if you have a list of do's and don'ts, I did the do's as best as anybody, and I stayed away from the don'ts as best as anybody. As to the law, perfect, blameless. He's saying, I, I, I was perfectly religious. I was good as good gets at being the religious guy. But all of that, again, look at verse 8. He says, I in, Indeed, I count 
everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What he's saying is none of that led to this knowledge of Jesus. None of that led to this relationship with Jesus. All of that I will give up because knowing Christ is better than doing the religious do's and not doing the religious don'ts. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as excrement, as, as throwaway, in order that I may gain Christ. If you put your confidence in yourself, in what you do, or in what you don't do, you will not find confidence in your relationship with Jesus. You'll be blown about by your momentary obedience or disobedience. One day you'll be proud thinking, I've got this down. I woke up early. I did my devos. I listened to worship music. I said my prayers. I smiled at the people who cut me off on the road. I gave them a thumbs up. The next day you're going to wake up late. You're not going to do your devos. You're not going to, you're not going to, sing, you're not going to listen to worship music, the guy's going to cut you off on the road, and you're going to make a different hand gesture than a wave. And you're going to think, what's wrong with me? Am I even saved? Does God even care? Are we good? One day, yeah, I'm good. God is proud of me. He's lucky to have me on the team. The next day, I don't know. Ah. And this is not what God wants for us. This is not what he has for us. Paul is showing us a different way, and Paul knows. He's established his credentials. He's thrown it away as rubbish. And now he's giving us a better way, confidence in Christ. And our confidence in Christ leads to real relationship. Confidence itself leads to religious rubbish. It's garbage. It's no good. It will do nothing for your soul. But confidence in Jesus leads to real relationship with him and confidence in that relationship with him. And he gives us some examples of what this looks like, how we can have confidence in our relationship with Jesus and what confidence looks like. Back up to verse 3. He says, For we are the real circumcision. Okay, the circumcision party, not the Jews who... who some Jews are included in the real circumcision, but the Judaizers, those who are piling up religious rules, they're, they're not the people who really belong to God now. We, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we are the real circumcision. And he gives us evidence. Here's how you know. Here's what it looks like to have this growing, confident relationship with the Lord. For we are the real circumcision, verse 3, who worship by the Spirit of God. That's in evidence. That's what it looks like to be of the real people of God, to have your confidence in Christ, to have a real relationship, is to worship by the Spirit of God. Now on the screen I put serving by the Spirit of God because I, I don't like how the ESV translated it here. Um, usually I like the ESV more, that's why I use it, but on this one, it, it, it can mean worship, but I think the better word here is to serve God. There's, there's a word that's used more often for worship than the one that is used here. And so I, I don't know that it's wrong or right, but I prefer the word serving. I think what Paul is getting at here is those, those of us who serve, and it's this act of worship as we serve. I think that's why this translation is confused. The NIV uses the word serve, the ESV uses worship, but it's this worshipful service by the Spirit of God. What he's saying is real relationship with God and confidence in your relationship with Christ 
looks like you going about your life doing things in relationship with Jesus, with an attitude of service and praise. It's not, I'm doing things for God because I'm supposed to. It's, I, I get to serve you. I get to be with you. I get to go to work and instruct young children for the glory of God. I get to go to work and make good business deals for the glory of God and the flourishing of society. I, I, I get to stay at home and instruct my kids for my own insanity. That's not really, that's just the reality. It, it's this attitude that when we are growing in our confidence with, with Christ, we have this real relationship where where it breaks down the sacred and secular divide. It's not spiritual and unspiritual. It's not, I'm serving me, and I'm serving the Lord. I'm worshiping God, or I'm worshiping fill-in-the-blank, whatever your idols are. It, it does away with that divide, and it says, all things are done with this worshipful attitude of service. I go to church, and I serve on whatever team, music team, hospitality team. I serve outside of the church doing different things. I go to school. I go to work. I go home. I interact with my neighbors. It's all sacred to the glory of God. That's an evidence of a growing relationship with Jesus, and that's a fruit of finding our confidence with him, is that we can more easily view all things as worship. Secondly, he gives us another characteristic of what this real relationship works with, looks like. And glory in Christ. So the real circumcision, those who have real growing relationship with Jesus, they worship or they serve by the Spirit of God, not in the flesh, in the Spirit. And they glory in Christ Jesus. Again, I, I translated this one from the NIV, boasting in Christ. I like how the NIV translates this one better too. The ESV here says glory in Christ. There's a, there's a more prominent regular Greek word that is used for glory than the one that Paul uses here. I think the better translation is boasting in Christ. He, he's saying that an evidence or a fruit of a confident relationship with Jesus, one that, that has this real connectedness, is to boast in who Jesus is. It's that regardless of your circumstance, you're able to hold your head high, not cocky, but confident. There's a difference. There's a difference between somebody who, who is braggadocious, who, who boasts in themselves. Paul isn't saying boast in your flesh, boast in your Christ. Hold your head high regardless of what life throws at you. You are an overcomer. He's saying that those of the real circumcision party, those who have a real relationship with the Lord, those who have confidence in Christ, they can hold their head high. They have assurance of their faith. They're not blown about by every disobedience, and they're not puffed up by every obedience. They're consistent, and they're boasting in Jesus. If you want to see where I think Paul's getting this idea from, jot down Jeremiah 9, 23 through 26, and read that for extra credit this afternoon. Extra credit. Isn't that the whole point of the sermon? There's not extra credit for doing things religiously. If you want to do it for the own joy of your soul, read Jeremiah 9, 23 through 26. I'm not going to read it now. It's just a bonus for anyone who wants to read it later. I think that's where Paul is getting this idea from. He's a good 
Jewish boy who knows the Jewish law, who knows the Torah, who knows the prophets. And he's saying real relationship looks like boasting in Christ, making much of him, and then, and then being confident in your relationship with him. Not cocky in your flesh, confident in your relationship. The next evidence of a real relationship, so he says, for we are the real circumcision, those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, or as, as I'm just going to summarize verses 3 through 8, crucifying the flesh real relationship with Jesus and confidence in that relationship with Jesus comes as we crucify our flesh, as we put to death our own efforts, our own religious do-gooding. It's when we die to our efforts, our man-made efforts, and now we come alive to God and his spirit. That's what he's getting at, verses 3 through 8. This entire thing is Here's all the reasons that I could be confident in my flesh, in my religiosity, in my doing good and not doing bad, but I've died to that. That was put to the cross with Christ, and now I'm alive to him and in his spirit, and we have a real relationship in which I have confidence. One of the phrases that I tell myself often is that because of Jesus, I have nothing to lose and nothing to prove. And oh, how I can tell you that that gets me through every sermon. Because you better believe in my flesh. I want to get up here and prove something to you. No public speaker doesn't want to prove something, right? In their flesh. Don't you want to prove stuff to your other Christians, to your family members, to your neighbors, to your coworkers? In our flesh, we all have this chip on our shoulder. We all want to prove something to somebody. I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I'm a good parent. I'm a good Christian. Maybe that's true, but it doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, you've got nothing to prove, and you've got nothing to lose. I can give, get up and give a dud of a sermon, and God says, it's all right, you're my son. I love you. Try again next week. Who cares if half the people come back? You're fine. You're going to heaven. Boast in me. Glory in me, my son. Don't worry about what other people think about you. Find your confidence in me. What, what is that for you? He's, he's telling us to die to ourselves. And then lastly, here's, here's what brings it all together. We're going to jump down to the last couple of verses here. And there's a big, long statement. I'm going to walk through it quickly. To find confidence in Christ, a real relationship with Jesus, it, it comes by clinging to your position in Christ, which is received by justification, renewed through sanctification, and rewarded in glorification. A lot of churchy words there. But so important. I'm going to walk through this quickly. Clinging to your position in Christ. Look at verse 9. Paul says, okay, I count all these things, all these deeds of the flesh, all this religious do-gooding that I have, I count it as rubbish, like dung, to be thrown away in order that I may gain Christ. In fact, to gain Christ and to, to, gain, to get confidence in my relationship with him, I had to count all of that as nothing because that was all me trying to work for him. But the relationship with Jesus is that he worked for me. It's not that I did for him, it's that he did for me. And so Paul here says in verse 9, and be found in him. The Christian life is one of position. It's one of gaining. It's one of being in Christ. It's not one of working for Christ. First of all, you're in him. 
And once you find confidence in your relationship in him, you start doing for him, but you, do, you don't do for him so that he would think highly of you. So important, church. We are in him, and we need to cling to that position. And this position comes, it, we receive it through justification. So Paul says, he says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that, that depends on faith, on faith. This means we're justified. That, that, that we find our real relationship with Jesus by being justified through Jesus' work in our place, on our behalf, not our work for him, his work for us. You receive your identity of being in Christ by justification. And then you grow up this, this identity of being in Christ, your confidence is renewed through sanctification. Sanctification is the theological term for just becoming more like Jesus. It, it, it's being quicker to repent of sin, quicker to acknowledge sin, quicker to, to kill the flesh and to live by the Spirit. Verse 10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. See, there it is, the power of his resurrection, this sanctification work that he's working this out in me and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We have confidence and assurance in our relationship with Jesus as he continues to make us more like him. That's the only way you can have confidence in your relationship with him, or assurance in your relationship with him, is as you have this real relationship where you are becoming more like him, or that's at least the desire of your heart, is to be more like him. And so, Christian, if, if you're frustrated with who you want to be and who you are, that's a sign that you're actually being sanctified. If you think I'm good to go, that's a sign that you're probably leaning into the religious rubbish of the world or the church. And then lastly, in glorification, it, it's attained or it's realized in glorification. Look at verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Glorification is the theological term for when Christ returns or calls us home and we're with him for all of eternity and we see him face to face. And Paul is saying, I'm confident in this relationship that, that as I continue to cling to my position in Christ, as I receive the justification from him, as I'm justified by him, as I'm renewed in my thinking day by day through sanctification, I will be rewarded in glorification. There will come this day when I am with him forever, and I will be resurrected with the dead to be with my Father forever in all of eternity. That's what Paul wants for us. That's what God wants for us. That's what he communicated to the truth to the church through his servant, Paul. And so, church family, this is a call for us to grow up in confidence in Jesus. Don't be pushed around by every, every disobedience or obedience. Again, your disobedience, if you're trusting your flesh and trusting yourself, if you're trying to find confidence in your religious, religiousness, your every disobedience will crush you. And your every obedience will, will inflate you. But finding confidence in Jesus, it levels the playing field. It allows us to worship him in spirit and in truth. It allows us to, to boast in him, to glory in him. It allows us to find confidence in him. 
that though I may walk out of this building in sin, I'm not condemned. Though I may be sitting in this building sinning, I'm not condemned. And though I may go throughout my day doing everything perfect, I'm not elevated in my own sense of self, ability, and worth. And so come back to the cross, church family. Cling to your position in Jesus. Receive him, the justification of your sins, for the justification of your sins, to be sanctified and to be renewed with confidence that you will be glorified and 